Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Posh. I'm Pat. And we're here and so excited to be with Jenny Brittenbauer, the founder of Jenny's Ice Cream. She's been doing this for what she told us now, 25 years. 25 years, that's crazy. And we're so excited to be here to share your story and hear from you about your journey and entrepreneurship in general and how what, what the plans are for the future for you. So thank you for being here with us. It's so much fun to be with you guys today. <laughs> so... I'll be honest, I've known for about Jenny's ice cream for a long time, and I love ice cream, and I've loved Jenny's ice cream, you know, from day one. I think I had it at your house for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely have had it together. And then we heard your story on how I built this, which we thought was one of the our favorite stories. And so, you know, we're excited to be sitting down with you. So give us a kind of a background of, you know, we know you grew up in Columbus, Ohio. You're still there. But tell us, you know, what young Jenny was like, you know, your academic career and how, how, how everything came to be. Um, well, first of all, we have to go back to Peoria, Illinois, which is mm. where I'm originally from. Okay. And so my childhood was spent in Peoria. I moved to Columbus when I was 12. Okay. So I consider myself a deep Midwesterner and we do have a sort of culture there. It's, it is that sort of culture of hard work, really, you know, other, um, nobody that I know in the Midwest would have called their company named it after themselves. <laughs> yeah. So there's always that sort of slight blushing that yeah. happens when, um, you know, in that, you know, it's like calling it Jenny's was like a little bit hard for me. You know, I mean, we, I come from a culture that's very quiet. We work and we, um, and there's that sort of community element to everything we do. Uh, but I was raised by, um, one of my grandmothers was an artist and an art teacher and an English teacher. Um, I had sort of an intellectual grandfather. The the two of them were known to have read every book in the library in Peoria. So mm. they had to like order out. Um, they were wonderful people. They had, um, 10 acres of forest land mm. and, uh, we built a, a cabin, a Thoreau-like cabin out there where my grandfather went out there. We had dog, several dogs, and they would go run the forest. Um, we we had about 12 gardens out there. Wherever the sun would break through the trees, there, there would be a mm-hmm. garden. And so depending on the year and what the canopy looked like, there would be gardens all over. I mean, my grandmother had a, a garden just for her favorite flower, gladiolus, so mm-hmm. they were all over her house too. Um, but we had root gardens and we had berry. We, we had tons of vines all over the forest. We had also wild things growing in the forest as well. Um, so I was out there every weekend, and I think that my sense of um, my understanding of sense of smell comes from that place. Mm. So, also like spending time close to the ground when you're a kid, yeah, you smell the ground, mm. right? Whether it's concrete, I don't know if you remember like growing up, you had yeah. concrete sidewalks where you were growing up, but like the smell of concrete 100%. sidewalks is so big in my brain, like a piece of watermelon on a concrete sidewalk. But like the the forest was like that for me. So walking the paths of the forest, depending on the season, you know, there was wood and there were, and sometimes it was the, the, the ground was wet in the, especially in the fall when there was like decay happening um, or when it was green or when it was very humid and sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a creek that ran through the, the forest. And so, I mean, it was like heaven on earth, yeah. honestly. Um, when it was really cold there, the way the scent traveled through the forest was very interesting to me. Um, you know, we always had a campfire going. And so you could always find that in the, um, you know, scent travels differently in cold. It's just faster and crisper. Mm. Um, but we always, um, you know, the, the, just the trees. I mean, every, it just the scents are so big to me. And I yeah. think that my sense of smell comes from there. And that's what ice cream makers. is I about. I feel like it's something that a lot of people maybe not take for granted, but don't really notice um, unless you're like really in it, right? Like yeah. um, you just even like we're from L.A. and being in a place like L.A., it's like you don't really notice the smells around the city because it's not so as. It may not be very good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or that. Exactly. Such, so. such pleasant <laughs> smells out of the yeah, river. Exactly. <laughs> 
Um, so it's interesting. Yeah. No, yeah, it is. And when you get into food later, and you know, I think that these things guide you to your career anyway. Yeah. Um, but and I definitely think it guided me because I knew that I was very connected to my sense of smell, and I was mm-hmm. using that in art. I studied art mm-hmm. um, all my life, and then also, and then also, yeah, in college, I studied both fine arts and art history uh, before I quit to go make ice cream. But yeah. when I figured out that ice cream was all about scent. You know, even blueberries have scent. Strawberries are all about scent. I mean, you know, the only thing you taste on your tongue are sweet, sour, bitter, salty, um, and umami. And then you have, like, texture on your your tongue. So the strawberry texture and the strawberry, you know, sweetness and tartness and a little bit of bitterness. But that thing that really identifies as a strawberry is the scent of the strawberries. Mm. So um, as a – from, like, a young age, like, what got you into art and what did – why did you ultimately decide that you wanted to study that when it came time to go to college? Well, I – my grandmother got me into art. I mean, we were always doing these. My mother as well. Um, and that wasn't her mother. That was um, my dad's mom. So, um, you know, on both sides of the family, mm-hmm. my mother was like a graphic designer and um, and just into art. She always did mm-hmm. good craft fairs and things like that. So that was super fun too. She would like make, I don't know, Christmas ornaments and then go set up at the, you know, fair mm-hmm. or yeah. whatever and sell them, which I always thought was so cool yeah. and fun. But, um, but I... Um, yeah, so I was always the art kid in school. I moved around every year too. So I almost, uh, I only went to a couple schools twice or, you know, for two years mm-hmm. straight. So every year I was with a new group of people, new new students. So I think I always felt um, my, like, very comfortable in the art room, in the yeah. art classroom, mm-hmm. which is funny because I think it's actually a lot like a kitchen. Um, and so I, art classroom, the library, those are the two places that were always sort of the same no matter what school I was in. The art teachers have the similar way of speaking, <laughs> the yeah. similar way of being and presenting in the world. Um, same with librarians. And um, so walking in a library, whether it was a school library or a, like a library in the neighborhood, yeah, um, those were the two places that were always constant for me. Did you enjoy the moving around and, you know, the constant change it seems? Or was it something that, you know, now looking back, you know, has had some sort of impact on you? Because I know a lot of people that move around and, you know, they were they became – socially i don't want to say socially awkward but they didn't have a lot of friends or there was no consistency in their social life so that has a toll on them do you feel like that played any part in your life well it definitely did and it's the only life i've had so um so i'm always you know i'm i think that entrepreneur is probably one of the the traits of entrepreneurs is that you have to be okay being alone Mm. and the reason is because nobody ever believes in what you think (laughs) what you believe in and so you have to be okay breaking off from that and walking away and just being on your own island um, for long periods of time. And um, and sometimes that means you can't even speak about your ideas because people will just sort of like, you know, uh, or they get annoyed by them or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you move around, I, I wasn't annoyed by it, even though I was also a deep introvert, very shy, very quiet kid. Um, I don't remember it ever hurting my, like hurting to start right. a new school. Um, I always felt like it was a new beginning. And you were like optimistic about it. You didn't feel I, like it, it was, was not like, something I tried again. to do. Yeah, it was yeah. just like you didn't really think um, about it. Yeah, no, never. I never did. And like as a parent now, I would never do that to my child. Um, but it was one of the greatest things that happened to me. I mean, I love the idea that like you when you're building your imagination of who you are and who you can be uh, and what you can do now that maybe you didn't, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done last year or didn't want to do last year, or whatever. What's the future going to look like? So. When I start a new school, I would I, I deeply imagine who I was going to be. It's all about vision, you know, yeah. and what I was going to do differently now. And always it was about that tweaking forward. And that is who I am to my core now and, and, and always have been. But I think it comes from that place of, of um, constant refreshing mm-hmm. of my surroundings and my friends and, you know, and, and being able to, like, rethink who 
I wanted to be. I think there's a lot of pros and cons to it. And definitely like one of the pros is that you build character and and you don't, you you sort of, you know, rely on yourself. And a lot of times, you know, creating this like independent person out of yourself where you don't have to rely on other people. Because I feel like um, sometimes when you grow grow up around the same people for so long, you kind of get sucked into this bubble and, and, you know, whether it's the mindsets or whatever it might be. And it's really hard to break out of that. So I have seen that with my own children. I've seen that even with my sister, who is much more of a sort of... um, much more like that, you know, with these sort of um, her friend group from a very long time ago that, you know, and it's wonderful. Yeah. And like, um, you know, it's a great thing, but also there's, um, um, it can be very judgmental almost in a weird way. You know, it, it's unchanging. So if you change your hairstyle or whatever, people think that's really not you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that even like with my daughter, when she goes to school, she's like, you know, she's been with the same kids for a long time and she's yeah. only in seventh grade. But it's like, if you just change one thing. Yeah. You know, it's almost you don't want to go to school because, you know, everybody's going to be staring at you and everybody's got to have an opinion about it and whatever. Whereas for me, when I moved around a lot, I was like, I could do whatever I wanted to. And nobody knows me. No one knows knows me. And I can just change whatever I wanted. And so even though I wouldn't want that for my own kids, I don't know why. It must have been hard. But for me, I don't know. I just must have gotten used to it or something. You said at 12 years old, you guys moved to Ohio. Was there any reason to move? (laughs) Well, my, my mother got a job. Okay selling typesetting equipment, which is really funny wow. because it's such a different world now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like these big systems that graphic mm. designers would use. And so my dad followed her out. We, we all followed her out eventually. Um, my dad worked for NCR, and that was back when they were still competing with IBM mm-hmm. in the personal computer space. Mm-hmm. And um, he could work in Dayton where the, uh, NCR was based. And so we all followed her out, and we all did that. Um, but I thought that Columbus – I'm like, I mean, I've heard of San Francisco, I've heard of LA, I've heard of New York City, but I have never heard of Columbus. So I was like, I thought it was going to be like this tiny yeah. little town. And yeah. I was coming from a, a town of town. less than 5,000 people. It was yeah. outside of Peoria, Illinois. Right. So, um, you know, where the people, like the school lunches included like cinnamon rolls that were handmade by the mm-hmm. grandmothers of the community. So I mean, you know, yeah. this is a great place. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was going to be this small city. Well, I moved out there to a suburb of Columbus called Dublin. And uh, I went to like, orientation for the new kid and I walked in and all you know 40 kids are sitting on the bleachers and I'm like oh that's really nice the whole class like came out to welcome me and it turns out it was just the new kids of that of seventh grade that year oh, wow. 40 kids just new you know like and I'm like okay I was yeah. just like way out of my I didn't know what to do crazy mm-hmm. so I mean like were you again like I guess like was that a lifestyle switch for you like did you really feel like you were kind of um I guess transforming as a person at that point, or or were you were you sort of just like, let's see what happens. I did feel like you know it's a tough time anyway for you know middle school sucks you know anyway, but um so it is a time of trans- transformation anyway. But also like I felt like I was in the big city honestly like you know I mean Columbus had an incredible food scene there. We had some amazing chefs who were um, inc- old old guard chefs yeah. there, um and and like it was still that like eighties cuisine. It was it was cool. It was neat. I mean you know so over the next few years. Um, yeah, I mean, I got, I, I felt like it was a, it was, a, I still think it's a, an incredible city, but I mean, yeah. it's, you know, looking back, I think of it then and now, and I mean, it's just miles away from what it was, but. I remember when I was like finishing up, you know, junior high, high school, I thought I was going to be a fireman, a doctor, I'm neither of those things now, but did you have any idea of what you wanted to do at that time? Yeah, I mean, I thought I would go into art. Um, I thought I would, because I I always knew that I would need to, um, be in charge of my own, like, 
life or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I yeah. knew that I – so I, I was – you know, I definitely was doing entrepreneurship. I mean, I was definitely, like, starting little businesses. And um, I was – by 12 years old, I was ready to be a grown-up. I was ready to be away from my family, my parents. They, you know, they were sort of having their own struggles and whatever, and yeah. I just wanted to be out of it. And I was one of those kids that was ready to go get a job. I didn't want it school anymore. I just wanted to go work. I mean, you think – I have a 12-year-old daughter, and I think, like, how could you think that a 12 yeah. – I thought that – I mean – yeah, and I think the 12 is a really cool age for girls because I met a lot of girls, probably boys too, but like I met a lot of girls who are sort of like that. I was one of those kids. I was just grown up. I was ready to go. I had an old soul or whatever. And I was just wanted to go. Why do you think that was? Like, where did that come from? Was it, was I don't it know, because maybe of parents like- who were very young? I mean, my parents had me when they were both. I mean, my mom had just turned 22 weeks mm-hmm. before she had me. Yeah. So they were really, really young. And maybe there's something about that. So you almost grow up thinking that, you know, with this almost like more responsible than your parents sort of mm-hmm. attitude. Right. Um, but, you know, it might be. You know, it might be one of those like gifts, genetic gifts as well. Like I've just always needed to be on my own. I do not like to be under anyone else's authority, whether it's a parent or a teacher or a police officer. Like it does not matter. I'm assuming you had a tough time like in school then, like at least getting into high school. I had a horrible time in school. (laughs) I mean, it was, um, and uh, I mean, it was cold sweats. You know, I'm, yeah. I was threw up all the time in school. I hated it so much. I feel like there's threw some bad up memories on teachers. Are coming back. <laughs> you know, like I mean, it was bad. I did not like it at all. I did not like sitting at a desk, but I was also like um, very quiet and still. And so, so I wasn't like the ADHD rebel, kid yeah, who was, was like, going crazy. I, you know, I mean, I was a rebel. I would smoke <laughs> yeah, yeah. cigarettes out the window by the yeah. time I was in high school, while the teacher was teaching. <laughs> but um, no, but when I but before then, I mean, that was probably my senior year in high school. So it was yeah, very yeah, I mean, much at the end. I was really done with it. Senior high school, really didn't care year. by I mean, there. So you know, you should just get rid of it completely. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I ran for president, <laughs> I would get rid of twelfth grade in high school. You would win. You would win. Hundred percent. So let's yes. do it. Yeah. So no, it was, yeah. <laughs> you go to college, art history, and obviously it's not really going well because you don't want to be under anyone's authority. You said that you always wanted to work. Were you working at the time? Did you get a yep, job? Yeah, I, I was because I, I um I was had no business going to university. I mean, I yeah. my, and you you know, my parents and my University? family had like dissolved by then, and I was really on my own. And so that was yeah. So I I I want I wanted to do makeup for Star Trek. So I like I mean like Star Trek Next Generation. So I was like this was what I was going to pursue. I was going to yeah. come out to LA and go to the school or whatever. And that was like what Star I was Trek. yes yeah. <laughs> because I, I think because I wanted Picard to be my boss. I don't know you know it's like that's what I was yeah. imagining it would be like. I mean it's good to like I, that, that, I feel like a lot of college <laughs> students don't have that focus. So if you're like I know exactly yes. not only do I want to make up but I wanted to do. I was it for super Star focused Trek. on a career. Like yeah, I was like yeah. this is what I want to do and also doing what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, so anyway, I was sort of figuring that out. And then I realized that I, I wanted to go to school and learn. I was, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I like learning. I, I like reading. I like absorbing information and whatever. So I got it. So I applied to Ohio State University. They declined. Not so politely. It was just like, no, thanks. I mean, like I did not do well. And I barely, I think in my graduating class of high school, it was like 456 kids. And I graduated like 454th oh. out of them. You know what I mean? Like it was not great. And I refused to take the SAT because I believe that it's not fair to this day i think it's yes. ridiculous yeah. so i um so they of course said no thank you and i um wrote a letter on notebook paper in pencil college uh, rule or white rule and i don't even know i think it was in a notebook <laughs> like i think i ripped it out of the notebook yeah. folded it up and sent it and i was like well here's what i did in high school was this like you think appeal, i wasn't doing something like your yeah. appeal letter yeah <laughs> i was like no but i was actually doing stuff and um they let me in which was amazing wow. and they let me in uh, fall quarter wow. you know and all of that stuff so that was really cool and like really I great i would love to see that letter me too. I have no idea where oh, it is right now. Oh, no, idea. no idea. No yeah. idea. Um, but I know that I wrote what I was doing. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah, I didn't get good grades, but I was also doing this. I was working like full time. Um, I was learning stuff, you know, also my mother had a baby. And mm. so I, you know, lived in this, like in the, 
in like a basement, which I loved, but it was definitely like a 1920s townhouse basement with yeah. like, you know, rocks, yeah. you know? And like, um, you know, my brother who was um, a baby at the time, like sometimes slept with me and my mom had anemia, mm. really bad and couldn't, couldn't get out of bed a lot. And so it was just us and my sister and like, you know, it was a lot, it was a lot, but I was so, you know, found time to do fun things and whatever. And they work, I loved working at the pastry shop. Uh, but anyway, they, so they let me in, which was amazing. So it, it was different for me though. University was different for me because I didn't ever focus. It was art history. It was fine arts. But if there was a class on vampires, I could convince the person, even if it was like a graduate level class, to let me take it. You know, yeah. and so I took a lot on the French Revolution. I took a lot on classics, Greek history, like some like Greek economic history. And I got straight A's. Wow. So like, you well, know, you do, I think totally you do it the right thing. way, which is take classes that you're interested in yeah. because the ones that you're not interested in, you're not going to do well at anyways. You, you won't, won't remember any of them matter. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to remember. So and why now not it's double like down on conversations. what you Exactly. You know, all of this has become ice cream. Mm-hmm. All of it has become a conversation over the counter. All of my art history, you know, which is like comparative writing, you know, you have to write mm-hmm. and just so much in yeah. that. And it's very, um, it isn't, you know, the study of aesthetics who people outside Baroque, of history Rococo. It's, it's about what was going on at the time and yeah. why and what these artists were seeing in front of them and how they were interpreting it. And so whereas history is like afterward what they decided right. to record, right. artists are recording yeah. what they're seeing in front of them and what they believe and what, what's going on. And so you have to like analyze that to find out what that is sometimes. But it's almost more real than what we study as history. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it's a wonderful thing to study. But that has become like, I mean, this is how I do writing at work. Yeah. You know, I still write the pints you know, uh, that we have, you know, it's a skill that I use every bit of it of what I learned at Ohio State. And what's great about Ohio State is it's a massive university. I mean, you know, 100,000 people there or something like that. Mm. So, you know, you can really do whatever. I can't even imagine specializing because. Yeah. (laughs) Throughout this whole time, were you pretty dead set? Like after college, you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to start your own business and be your own boss and that kind of stuff? Or or did you have some other career path in mind? Like I'm going to graduate with an art history degree and and I'm going to, I don't know, go work. I knew that I would be an entrepreneur. And one of the reasons, I mean, I had done this a lot when I was a kid. You know, I just liked making stuff and selling it somewhere or whatever. Um, But I, um, I, I knew because I worked at small businesses. So I worked for people who owned their business, whether it was a bakery or an ice cream shop, which was my first job. I worked for the people who were who owned it, and so seeing how they did it, you know, as opposed to you know, I don't know, working at the mall or something like that. And so seeing what they went through, seeing that it was a t- basically eighteen hour a day job for the owners, you know, mm. and um, like I got that bug, mm. you know, that this is where they live. I feel like a lot of people will be turned off in that situation, like, oh my god, like they never sleep, like they're just working twenty four seven. But for right. you, it was like, I I want that. That's what you. Wanted. I thought that if you love it that much, if you love it, you know, or you know, if it's if it's a if it's a part of you, you want to spend that much time mm. doing it versus like being almost like forced to show right. up at nine and stay till five. Yeah, it's a drag for sure. When I'm curious, when you were working at that ice cream shop early on, I mean, how old were you? 15. Did you think that there was any chance that you would one day be the one owning an ice cream shop like that? No, I didn't because growing up in the Midwest, I loved sweets, mm. desserts. I mean, like we, we served cinnamon rolls before dinner in the Midwest. And um, so I loved all of them. And ice cream was something you just ate every single day at, you know, before bed or whatever. And then you'd also go out on Friday night and get it. So it was almost like a throwaway dessert. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably last on my list of things that I loved, you know, all of the other desserts I liked more. I don't know why, you know, um, or I thought I did or whatever, but, um, 
So I didn't. I really didn't. I mean, mm. I thought it was. But here's what I liked about ice cream, though, and the reason that I would, I was so excited. I knew that my first job would be an ice cream shop. I mean, from the time I was ten, I knew that, and I don't know why I knew that there. Were, you know, I didn't know that there was going to be one that I could walk to that would open, and mm. I would be their first employee and all. That. I didn't know any of that stuff. But I just knew that that would be it. Mm. And the reason was because of the culture around ice cream. There's right. some that that I loved so like much. Neg- negativity around ice yeah, cream. Yeah, and it's like that. Um, yeah, it's there's this this I don't know what it is. It's like that that like um, Americana or something like that, and um, and even though you know, and, and it's like that not just in America, of course, either. Yeah. But like, like in Italy, gelato. Know? I mean, it's fun, right? Like, yeah, you never get ice cream yeah. when you're sad. Well, yeah. maybe you do yeah. to make you happy, <laughs> but it, and you're the, always the, the there. The like, result is happy. Yeah, but, and, and you're there to get to know someone else better. Right. Like you're there to get right. to learn about someone else, or you're. You know, whatever, and and even a little bit about yourself. You know, I mean, you, you know, I've been in the ice cream for so long now that I know that when you go to the ice cream shop, you almost always know what you're going to get before you mm-hmm. go. But sometimes something will change your mind. Yeah. And like, oh, I feel like you know, I feel like I have a memory of every single time I got my mind changed. Yeah. You know, the first time I had is sort of silly, but like jungle fruit, which was Baskin Robbins big flavor in 1984. Oh, wow. And I. It like stopped me in my tracks. It was like this like passion fruit flavor or something. I had like every like a different fruit. Human I don't even being know. Afterwards, but, you know? you're like, oh, I thought I was like I was a chocolate person, but I'm not anymore. Like, yes, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> or the first time you discover that bubblegum and ice cream is horrible. Yeah. You know, yeah. but you had to have it. You yeah. know, like um, because it looked so good. You know, but there are like those moments where like sometimes you'll change your mind, and that's like really fun too. But that it, it is it's that culture around ice cream that's so wonderful. Mm. So you didn't go in. So after you left Ohio State University, or you dropped out, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't immediately go into the ice cream business. You went into the perfume business. No, not really. I um, I I was thinking about so okay. at at Ohio State, I had a friend who worked in the chemistry department. He would bring me little vials. He was French, um, um, like I don't know if he was going into perfuming. I knew him a little bit, you know, in, on campus or whatever. He would bring me little vials of scent and oh. little chemical compounds or whatever. And I I, I think it was that point as like a um, 19-year-old that I realized how connected I was to my sense of smell. Mm. And then it brought back all of the stuff from my childhood. And then it started to be like, can I use that in art? Can I tell stories through scent mm. in art? And I was working on that. You know, can we put scent in a vessel that you, and then that becomes the art. Mm. Not, like a, an, not like an oil that you would wear or whatever, but like just the air that was scented. And that sort of, you know, and I, it wasn't, it didn't work or whatever. But like, you know, I was just like, how does, how can this work? And then... Um, I was also making pastries at home because I'd worked at the pastry shop mm-hmm. for a French family and they were amazing. And all of the French speaking people from Ohio State University would come in and smoke, you know, camel filters and drink like, you know, uh, the darkest coffee and have amazing conversations and like over a croissant or, you know, petit déjeuner or whatever. And like, I just would like just listen in and like be a part of that. And I love that so much. So could I have a pastry shop, you know? And like, so I was thinking about like, well, what what if I did, could I use these French techniques? You know, they would grow their own raspberries sometimes and bring them in. But like with American desserts that I grew up with. So like, even like thinking like Barbie cakes, you know, like, or whatever, um, big American cakes with color and stuff like that. And then I, and then that led me to ice cream. Mm. And then, and then I realized that ice cream is all about scent. Mm. And so then it was like pastry, telling stories and, and art and scent. That's that crossroads where those things come together. And because I had been exploring everything that interested me, I found that crossroads where like, holy cow, ice cream is not what I thought it was. And it's really not what anyone thinks it is. It's more than that. It's not about junk food. It's not about like big chunks and whatever. It's about the actual ice cream. Butterfat, which is the fat that's in milk, melts below body temperature. And I knew that because I had made a lot of croissants with butter, right? right? And um, not all fats are like that. 
Um, some of them melt above body temperature, which means you'll you'll never it'll never melt on your tongue. But you can load that up with scent, and then as soon as it hits your tongue, it volatilizes. Whether it's vanilla bean or fake vanilla or mint or or strawberries or um, you know coffee chocolate you know teas and all of that stuff. You know flowers. I mean, to this day, I wear so many flowers. But I mean, anyway, it's all about loading it up with scent, either through steeping it or by adding an ingredient, an ingredient, and then loading it in there and then like locking it in in the freezing. Mm. And then as soon as it hits your tongue, it melts. Hmm. So you're you're working. You, you said you're working at the ice cream parlor. Is that right? I worked or, there in high school, and then I quit to go to the French bakery, which okay. was like across the parking lot. So how did you, when you ultimately came back to ice cream, like, or I guess when you're in college, like, what was the moment where you decided I'm going to leave college and I'm going to do this, and what was that? It was a moment. So, so actually, you know, it's interesting because there are moments. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the first time I put, um, um, uh. I had like this essential oil of cayenne, mm-hmm. which doesn't have a scent at all. It's just a physical right. property of heat. It's just a distilled, um, you know, the heat. And I mixed that into chocolate ice cream, mushed it mm. into chocolate ice cream, already bought chocolate ice cream, I didn't even make the ice cream. And that was the moment I realized that like you can load all, the, all this stuff up. Yeah. Immediately right after that, I made a rose petal ice cream. I just knew that like butterfat was this perfect carrier of scent, even though that didn't have a scent. Um, but that moment changed the rest of my life. Like I was like, um, if I like... I projected, I telescoped out like what ice cream could be like. So I think I do like to think in terms of moments. And then the other moment was the um, when I was in art class and it was like a figure drawing class and it was a three hour class. And this woman came in who was the model in that class. And I loved the class a lot. I mean, I always brought big paper with me and like um, I like to draw very big because yeah. I think it's like the radius or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. But um, the model walked in and it was one that I just couldn't draw. I didn't like drawing her. She was, um, she's like very tall and very slender. Yeah. And I remember she had like hip bones and I couldn't like, I couldn't shade it. I can shade like round people. Yeah, yeah. But I can't shade the, 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 the angles on this I'm very tall you out after with me. I know, right? <laughs> so, I, and I like, it was a three hour class and I was like, I couldn't sit there. So it was portfolio week. It was a big week. Um, I had all of my supplies there. I was, you know, sitting there getting ready to draw on the, I just was like, I can't do this anymore because I was thinking about ice cream and I just was like, I just want to go home and make ice cream. And so I got up, you know, kind of quietly walked behind everybody in the class and left, left everything there because it couldn't pack it up and just get yeah. out of there. I left everything there. This is like very expensive art supplies. <laughs> and especially for a kid who doesn't have a family to fall back on, who's really alone in the world, who's relying on, you know, grants and, um, you know, whatever so I can, expensive. some loans, but um, to get to do all of this and then also working basically full time. And you knew um, at yeah, that moment you're not coming back. That's it. I knew I wasn't going back, and I left. And um, and then I went and and yeah, six months later, opened a little shop in the farmers market, making ice cream. What was the company called? It was called Scream, and that was in 1996. And you did you learn to make ice cream in six months? I mean, did you know anything about food and making? Um, ice cream? I had been making ice cream at home. So yeah. once I once I like mushed the 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 rose petal into vanilla and, and the cayenne. cayenne. Once I started doing that, I, then I started to take my creme brulee recipe and make it into um, ice, ice cream. cream, just on a small um, right. ice cream equipment. And so, um, th- and it was too eggy, and I started working on that or whatever. But like, you know, that was where that went. And um, yeah, I just started, and I thought I knew a lot about it. I mean, I thought this yeah. is gonna be great. And I, I realized. I mean, I didn't. I opened the shop. Knowing nothing, I yeah. mean, I thought it, I thought I knew everything. When you were making like the ice cream before you even opened the shop, um, were you getting feedback? Like, were other people like around you, like your friends or family or whatever, trying your ice cream and telling you like really yeah. positive feedback, or was it just off of your own like taste that you're like somebody's gonna want this? Uh, a lot of people are gonna want this. No, it was definitely so. I and that's why I love to encourage people now because when we, you know, if somebody has a passion 
it is kind of on on us as their friends and, and community to encourage those people. Um, and a lot of times, you know, we don't, right? Mm-hmm. But I had a friend group who was very encouraging. And so, you know, it was like we'd go to dinner party or somebody would have a dinner party and I was always bringing ice cream back then. They would call me the ice cream girl, you know? Yeah. And like, so I'd always bring, bring ice cream and like everybody made. started, yeah, that I made. And people would, people started getting used to that. And, um, and it was like a moment. So you'd have this big dinner, everybody, you know, lots of wine or whatever. And at the end, the ice cream would come out and it was like this moment of like reanimation. Like, you know, everybody's kind of like in a coma after a big meal and a little wine or a lot of wine or whatever. And then the ice cream would come out and everybody's like reaching across the table and giving people spoonfuls in their mouth. And yeah. And like, because they, they had never had ice cream like that, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, you know, I would have a, whatever it was, you know, Lang Lang or Bulgarian Rose. I could explain the difference between that and, you know, whatever. And like, um, at the time, like what was like out there was pretty much Baskin Robbins and like some Hawking other dogs. local. Um, Cold Stone was really on the rise. Yeah. Yeah. And they were growing all over. Um, it, yeah. Ben and Jerry's was still in a big heyday. I yeah. mean, um, Hagen dazs was still Hagen dazs And, um, and really in terms of, um, Ice cream shops. It was everybody was all of the mom and pop ice cream shops across the, the country. Most of them were still in the Ben and Jerry's model. Mm. And so when you, this is kind of, I think it's kind of interesting because you see, um, it's like the family trees. You know, it was like everybody was kind of on the Ben and Jerry's family tree. You know, you walk into like Whitefish, Montana, and I was there not not long ago. And there's there was, I mean, probably a, ten or fifteen years ago actually, but um, there was a one still there. You know what I mean? It was like mm. this mom and pop shop that like had the sort of bubble letters in the clouds, yeah. and you know what I mean? And it's like. They, they sort of thought they were being like, um, they, you know, they put their own spin on this sort of like, let's right. add big chunks to ice cream. And um, and so, yeah, and so now you see it's very different. It's about, you know, storytelling through flavor mm. and scent and ice cream or whatever. And that's in that sort of more like, and that's our model, you know, you or talk, our family tree. Right. You talked about moments in that six months of prep prior to opening the store. Was there a moment that you thought to yourself, this is going to work, like this is going to be big? Well, before I opened Scream, I thought it was going to be the biggest. Like I thought it was going to, I mean, I thought it was going to be huge. You know, I thought Why? it was like going to be. Well, you know, you everybody when you have an idea, it's like you got to be your own, like yeah. your best, you know, advocate best or what champion. Yeah, you know what champion. I mean? Oh, I thought it was going to be like crazy. Like people were going to go nuts for it, and of course, no one did. Really? So <laughs> yeah. How, so how far, not. like, um, how far, like, ahead did you think in terms of? Okay, I'm gonna. Were you thinking like, okay, I'm gonna build this one location. It, it's gonna do really well, and then I'm gonna build more locations, and that was kind of the ideal situation for you. I didn't think that far ahead. Um, I just thought, I I, th- I sort of like skipped all the details and went to like the big vision, which is like, hey, if Ben and Jerry's can have pints and grocery stores and shops, like I can do that. So you were thinking at, back then, like like actually packaging these things up and selling them. In yeah, stores. yeah, I was thinking like. I was, I mean, I've said probably these exact same words, like, um, American ice cream is the best ice cream in the world. Sort of, this is my belief, um, that that sort of hard pack ice cream. And when it's really, really well made, it's the best in the world. And I think I can set the standard for that. Like, I I think I can. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, and and then what is that? Mm. But I had, to, I had a lot. I mean, I had a lot to learn about what that actually is. And <laughs> that, you know what I mean? It's easier to say, you know, you get, you get sort of, especially when you're, you're 21 you're or 22 years old. Far away, but like where you had worked, it wasn't, um, you hadn't seen that happen, right? It was mainly just like you're, you're, they were serving customers walking into their doors and that type of model, right? Yeah. yeah. Why did you decide to open your first store in Columbus? I know you were there, but why did you decide to open your first store around that area? And how did you even get the money or whatever to pay rent for this shop? 
So the the shop maybe cost thirty five thousand dollars or thirty thousand. No, oh, it was just, just like a little. You know, it was like yeah. our ice cream machines, the the ice cream dipping cabinets, the tables, and all the stuff that you need to do that mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, and so it was just you know it was just like convince friends. You know, I mean, my but there was a friend that I'd been kind of um partnering up with a lot, and so she and I decided her family had some money and they were going to let us borrow it. And yeah, so borrowed from her family and. Um, started this little shop. I worked it every day. She had another business and, um, and it was great. I mean, I worked there for four years, 12 hours a day, had Mondays off, um, burned you out in a huge Mondays way. Off? Yeah. Well, the market was closed on Mondays. Oh, okay. So, um, and for part of the time it was closed on Sundays too. And then that changed, but, um, but yeah, so I basically was at the market all day long. So most of the time in the market, you're not busy. And so you walk around, talk to the other merchants, you know, loiter or just do whatever make ice cream, think about stuff, read an ice cream textbook, you know what yeah. I mean? So that ended up being, that time was really important to me. It became the foundation of everything we do because I learned from everybody in the market. So in that market, it's a beautiful old, it's like a 150, 200-year-old market in public market, and it's the oldest one in the Midwest, continually operated. And um, so you've got this incredible cheese merchant who knows everything about, you know, every you know, cheese maker in America or the world. You know what I mean? Um, you've got the wine merchant who's just who's been doing this for 25 years and knows everything about wines. Um, just every, you know, the, of course, there's the produce people. Of course, there are the farmers that come in every weekend. There's the there's several bakers in the market doing different things. There's a chocolatier. There's mm-hmm. a spice person. And so you just, these people become your family. My family, you know, they, they still are. They're my family. And like, the, I learned everything from them. Um. Every, you know, and, and spending so much time with them. It was like the perfect place to be, to learn how to be an ice cream maker, right. to learn how to bring flavor forward. But also it was a great place to learn how to build a company as a community. And really, I think it was about learning how community supports each other and how community works because I had not had that growing up. Mm. And so I learned about that at the market and how this sort of rising tide lifts all ships, how we all have to hold each other accountable, how we also have to like not, uh, you know, not prop other people up, but lift people up, pull people up sometimes with us. You know, there's this whole dynamic of, of what a community is and does. And this, this under this roof in the market was like the perfect place for me to learn all that stuff. It's still how we operate our business Mm -hmm, today. So here you are, like you open up your first like store location and and you're learning obviously as you're going, what ended up happening and like, what was like the biggest, I guess, challenge in that Time. Well, so at Scream, my, own, my you know my big problem was that I, I just really didn't know what I was doing. So, um, you know, I, I did start to learn how to make ice cream. Mm. You know, I really started to get what that was all about. And um, by the end, I was making basically what we're making today. I mean, there were it's still tweaked and changed over time um, more, but like some, it was basically like what we're doing. Um, but the problem really was that. I still thought of myself, I think, a little bit as an artist. And so I was making whatever flavor I wanted to every day. And there was just no consistency. Mm -hmm. So if you fell in love with one of our flavors, and, you know, salty caramel was one of our first Mm -hmm. flavors from day one. And that was the flavor that we really got known for. And it was before anybody else did it in America. And, like, Mm -hmm. it was, like, um, a mistake that I actually made. A French chef from the bakery had said that, you know, he was from Brittany, said where he was from, in a very thick accent. He said the the, the caramel is salty. And I thought he meant like Scandinavian licorice salty. Mm. But what he really meant to say is what I would have said is salted. It's like salted butter. There's a little pinch of salt. Well, in America, it's all salted. We don't differentiate a burnt sugar sauce from a salted caramel, right? Caramel is caramel and then burnt sugar sauce is burnt sugar sauce, like, right? But in France, they do. And so I took it and ran with it. I thought it was this extra salty 
um, ca- like caramelized sugar. And so I started making that ice cream. And to this day, it's one of our top yeah. sellers. And it's just caramel, sugar caramelized over fire. And then it's a little extra sea salt. Um, but anyway, you might fall in love with that flavor when you come in at Scream and bring all your friends back the next day to get it. And then I wouldn't have it. Mm. Um, I still thought that that was a good business idea that like, yeah. you know, people would come in just to see the theater of it, you know, or whatever. Um, and it wasn't really until I closed Scream and, you know, still thought that like, well, maybe I was, you know, maybe just they just didn't get it or something. Um, it wasn't until I visited another business who was out of like the, the reason that I was there was a coffee shop and I was there for their orange scone and they were out of it. And like, it was like such a disappointment because it was the only reason I was there and they didn't care. And uh, I, another speaking of moments, another moment for me was when I walked out of that coffee shop and I was like, that's what I did to all the customers at Scream. Like I was disappointing every single one of them every day. And so I, in my mind, I was like, you have to create that craveable reason to return. That was the thing that I had not done, but that was the thing that this coffee shop had done and they ran out of it or they didn't care or whatever. But um, anyway, so that was like, I yeah. restructured the business plan. I started, you know, writing another plan. So maybe six months after I closed Scream, um, I got, bu- you know, busy on another plan. And then it was like, we're going to have two dipping cabinets, one where like we have signature flavors that never change. So you know what we've got, you know, all your favorites there. And I knew the flavors that everybody always asked for, even though I didn't, you know, choose to have them at Scream, but I knew what they were. So we started with those and we yeah. immediately out of the gate, we were like, this is what we're known for. This is what people come here for. I mean, even day one when we didn't even have any customers yet um, based on what had happened at Scream. And then there was another dipping cabinet for like whatever whim we were on, whether it was seasons, pop culture, you know, culinary trends or, you know, a farmer wanted to grow something for us and we want to make it. For context, how old were you around how, like what age were you when you closed down uh, Scream? Were you like- I was um, 26. So, so you're 26 and you you started this thing and it, it ultimately didn't work out or maybe like it was not what you wanted it to be and you close it down. What what um what was going through your mind and like why did you want to I guess it sounds like you went back to the drawing board and you were like going to take a stab at it again and do it do it again. Like why I wasn't going to when I walked away from Scream, I was done. I mean, I had been there for, you know, every day. I thought I had tried my hardest. I thought I had exhausted all of my ideas. Um, we, I had a business partner who didn't care about the business at all. She didn't want to invest in the business. I had different ideas than she did. It wasn't work. Nothing was working out at the time though. We had started to get some regular customers who really loved what we were doing. And so even though I don't think we made enough money, I mean, I made $638 a month for all four years. That's what I lived off of. Um, walked everywhere. So it was profiting a little bit. Um, business. Yeah, I mean, enough that enough, I could yeah. take that home every yeah, month yeah. Um, and, you know, buy a few new, you know, ingredients yeah. or whatever. But I had a different way of thinking about it and it was just too hard to work together and we just were going separate yeah. directions. So I was really done and I thought I'll go back to school and be an art teacher like my grandmother. And um, and so I walked, I just walked the out. Coffee shop moment, yeah. What, what was different about the business plan? I mean, you, you said you worked six months or not worked six months on it, but in that six months you had this new idea. It seems like you were reinvigorated by that moment of disappointing the customer, right? Of th- that, just that feeling and the craving and the expectation of wanting something and not getting it. But what was different? And, you know, I, you, I assume you changed the name at that point. Or Well, the name not. is really funny yeah. because there were a few things, um, there were a few things that were different. First of all, I, I, I everywhere I went, 
I mean, Columbus is a is a big city. It's two two million people, but like mm. it's it's a small community too. Yeah. And like they're the neighborhoods that I lived in where I knew a lot of people, you know, because I walked to work down High Street every day. And mm-hmm. so, hello, hello, hello. I mean, literally waving to everyone. Hey, Jenny. Hey, Jenny. like people knew me. I knew them. I had pink hair. I was you know kind of conspicuous, yeah. and so it was really hard to hide after I closed Scream. Um, and so people would buy our drinks when we were at a bar. People at one point somebody bought us dinner one time, and you just wouldn't let it die. And I remember when I went to get a job, I was like, I need to get a job where no one will find me. So that was when I went and made croissants in the back, back, back room of the bakery. I begged them to let me be the croissant maker, which is the hardest job I've ever had. Mm. Um, but we made them from scratch every day. I made, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of them. Um, and, and I also worked at an, in the young adult section of a library. Like literally, it was like the windowless back room um, while I was doing that just to like um, escape a little bit. But that was the thing. It was like... I the community wasn't going to let it die, which was really cool. And like something that I valued very much. And so, um, it was really hard for me to, to take it completely out of my soul. And so once I realized that problem, it was my, it was my back in, it was like that spark I needed to get back working on it. And from then it was like feverishly working on it every single night, the business plan, looking at, I learned how to use spreadsheets. You know, I learned how to use Excel. I mean, you know, minimally, but mm-hmm. like enough mm-hmm. to say, how many customers do I believe, based on my experience and my knowledge, how many real human beings do I believe will walk up to my counter and buy something every day? And so that was how I wrote my business plan. I think I can get 10 people, you know, before three o'clock. I think I can get 10 more people before seven, you know? And it was like, well, if I do that, what if I add, you know, 20% more, you know, or whatever. And what, you know, and then you start thinking, well, how can I make flavors based on the things that I know and then my knowledge and my expertise that maybe they love so mm. much that I can entice people to come back more. Once you start looking at the numbers like that, you start playing with it and actually really um, impacts your creativity, you know, versus like thinking like you're the one that's important, mm. you're the artist, you're the thing or whatever, you know? And so I, it yeah. was a totally different way of thinking about it. And when I opened Jenny's, it's funny too, because you went scream. I did. I had pink hair. I had like mm-hmm. vintage clothes. I had made my own aprons or I used vintage aprons. Um, but at Jenny's, it was always white aprons. I mean, I made them all a lot too. They were like heavy canvas aprons. Mm-hmm. I had hair that looked like my aunt. I mean, she's adorable, but like she's still my aunt. You know what I mean? I had like brown hair, cut it short. I mean, More I took professional. all emphasis off of me yeah, yeah, and put everything on the ice cream. I wore a white shirt every day. In fact, I wore that for 15 years. Wow. I wore a white shirt and apron and black pants every day, like black corduroys yeah. and um, hiking boots. That was my outfit for probably 15 years. You know, it's the one thing that is really interesting to me is like in that period, you went from Jenny, the artistic person, art focus, ice cream as you know, scent, scented art to somebody who was now in the business of ice cream, right? Like you became a businesswoman and you really started to look at things more holistically as to how this is going to survive, right? Was that a struggle for you to transition from that creative artist to more so that creative businesswoman? Or do you think that one resulted in the other? I think, yeah. I mean, I for me, I think it went back to community. I think I learned, in fact, I, I know this is what it was. I learned the value of relationships. Mm. I learned the value of um, lifting people up. And that, um, that, that entrepreneurship is a two-way conversation. 
It, it, and so I, I actually differentiate now in, in my life business from entrepreneurship because I really do think that most entrepreneurs that I know are community focused and people focused and passion focused and finding that spot where like you you find that um, that sweet spot, you know, yeah. where that's something you want to do and you love is also something somebody else wants to do. And like you can you can figure out how to sort of continue to tweak that um, versus like business, which is like a bunch of like um, it's a it's a structure of disciplines, you know, it's HR, finance marketing, all of that stuff that you can learn, but, uh, and it's all about money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's great. I, I love business too, but I think they're different. They work really well together. But, um, but anyway, I think for me, it was community is the most beautiful thing that we ha- that in the whole wide world. And like art only exists because community exists, right? right? Like I, I just realized that every, all great art that I know isn't focused on the artist. You know what I mean? And, and, all great chefs too, great artwork, work, even music or whatever. It's focused on this other emotion that kind of lives between human beings. Mm-hmm. I feel like, right? Like it's the culture, and, and behind the culture is that community. Yep. That, that creates the that puts forth. If that you culture. if you start from that place of love for someone else, like and then create something based on the things that you know and your expertise, you get to a whole different place. And I think that for me, that was what it was about. It was about now, instead of creating in the next ice cream that Jenny's going to put her name on, even though I ended up putting my name on, I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. It was about um, using the things that I knew to make something really beautiful that somebody else might love. Mm. And like listening very closely and watching um, expressions over the counter as people ate it. You know, Mm. so I'd make it and then I got this, you know, I got to serve it for so many years. And so that, that, time you become like a sort of a jedi you start to get an intuition about what people like and why mm. and the motivation and then and then you get sort of i guess the the right to go off and do other things and and you know mm-hmm. grow mm-hmm. and do all the things that you're doing or what or, you know that we're doing so how how long did that last like that one spot that you opened up it's still there Oh, oh, it's still there, but like, <laughs> okay. just like before you started expanding into more locations um, and actually having products and stores, like how, at what point did that happen? So we opened in 2002 and we opened our first shop outside of the market in 2007, okay. 2006. Um, and one of the reasons, well, actually the reason was we, we knew we would, op- we knew we would open outside the market at some point, but the, um, we started, so we, I knew when I opened Jenny's that I had to do my part in the market to bring customers to the market. Like everybody else in the market, you know, you have to get outside of the market and bring people down. You can't just wait for people to walk by because it's not enough. So I started selling to restaurants, mm. um, chefs that wanted the, the ice creams. I started doing festivals, you know, or community festivals or whatever we had, uh, fairs, getting out, doing like um, 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 non-profits, supporting them. And this like was with the Jenny's brand, like when you were selling Jenny's, it to restaurant, yep. it, they, were, they were serving Jenny's brand ice cream? Yep. Yeah, so oh, we would tell just in our area. Yeah. Uh, and in 2004, we opened our website. So now we're shipping pints all over the country. Um, but we didn't know that you actually have, a whole, have to have a whole different license to do that. Mm. So if you're a restaurant or an ice cream maker making ice cream behind your counter, serving it over the counter, ice cream, hamburgers, whatever you got, um, you're, you're under the, the health department. In most cities, that's what it is. You get your, your city health department or your county health department or whatever. Um, when you're shipping. But when you package it to be resold, now you're under the state ag and then even FDA after that. Mm. And so um, when you go over state lines and, sh- and sell it, we just didn't know what we didn't know. And so um, our state agricultural agriculture um, department came to us 
informed us that we were doing it wrong. They were awesome to work with, really helpful, really great, but they gave us like a year. Right. You know, they didn't come in and say, you have to stop doing this. They said, this is your, these are your options. And we, great. And we worked, at, worked, worked it out. So then I had to open a bigger kitchen mm-hmm. offsite. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the market, sales in the market weren't going to be able to support that. So then it was like, well, let's open a store. It was the scariest thing we ever did. Yeah. We didn't think we were ready for it. We didn't think that we had enough customers. And, uh, and, it, and we did. We opened a, a little shop in this wonderful neighborhood called Grandview right outside of um, downtown Columbus. And we had a line down the block and around the corner and, you know. So I'm assuming at this point, like you had created a buzz around the community, like a lot, everyone knew pretty much. Yeah. And it's still pre, you know, social media. You know, I still had a book where if somebody wanted a flavor that I had made last summer, I had to call them. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then Twitter starts and like, you know, yeah. yeah. The one story I want you to share, and I'm not sure if chronologically we're there yet or we've passed it, is you took this course. Was it at Penn State, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken? When, when did that happen? Well, the funny thing is it actually happened after we closed Scream. Okay. Yeah. I had already signed up to take it. Okay. And so it was in January 2000. And um, yeah, and it was awesome. It was an ice cream making course? It's an ice cream making course. So Penn State has offered this course for a really long time. Like I don't part know, of a culinary decades. program or something? Or? No, it's actually a science program. It's a dairy science program. So it's in the dairy um, I think department. the Ben and Jerry guys had taken it or the... The Ben and Jerry's guys had taken it. And like, basically the course is for um, people who maybe have food science degrees, but they're going to go run a factory that makes ice cream. Got it. And so you go and you learn all the math in ice cream. So it's very sort of standard commercial ice cream production stuff. Hmm. At the time it was. And this is in 2000. 2000. So it was a lot of like men with mustache, you know, like the kind of like, you know, plant manager types. And then there was me. (laughs) We have (laughs) like a class picture and it's really cute. It's really funny. It's crazy to think that 2002 is 18 years ago now. I know. Um, You know, so you you said you were going to tell us why you called it Jenny's Ice Cream Bar. Mm -hmm. So why was it called Jenny's Ice Cream? Well, because um, I wanted to call it something else. And I had a whole bunch of ideas. And so I was running it by all of my friends. And I also was nannying for a family and they were going to invest in the company. I was, I was really hopeful yeah. that they were going <laughs> to yeah, yeah. give me the money. Quid um, pro quo, I scratch your back, you scratch Yeah, mine. well, they were the only people I knew with money. Yeah, Everybody yeah. else I knew was like yeah. uh, in a band or like an artist or they yeah. owned a record store or whatever. Nobody else I knew had like money. Yeah. So I was nannying for this family and I, was, and I loved them deeply. Yeah. And I still do. They're wonderful. But, um, um, but so I was running this stuff by people and because we had called it Scream, but like, so the feedback I got was no one even called it Scream. You were there every day. Everybody called it Jenny's, mm. right? We all kind of knew it was Scream, but no one called it there. Let's go to Jenny's. That's what people say. And so now you're going to add a third name. Like it's a small community, yeah. right? So you add a third name and, and, and you lose everything that you had there. And like, and you have to start that all over again and nobody's going to even call it that. They're going to call it Jenny's because you're going to be there all the time anyway. And it was true. I was. I was there for another six years. Um, so that convinced me. I realized that it doesn't make any difference. You're right. Nobody's going to call it that. I remembered that people didn't call it Scream. They called it Jenny's. So I, yeah, so I called it Jenny's, Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. And um, I, you know, it was like all the ice cream shops had like another word. And I was like, um, and I think Grater's Fine Ice Cream is another, another company in Ohio mm-hmm. or Ben & Jerry's Homemade or whatever. So I was like, what's my, splendid. you know, it's Splendid. Uh, I think maybe I got that from like the Splendid Table or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? But yeah. um, yeah. but so I but so I did. I called it that. And I honestly, it was embarrassing for me to do that. I didn't like it. I didn't yeah. like it. I was like, 
you know, I um, didn't have any design work done. I went to Kinko's. I didn't have a computer, so I went to Kinko's. You know, I'd rent the computer. I don't know if you ever had yeah. to do that, but like, I, I spent so many hours there making like signs for yeah, the yeah. business and stuff like that. But Before anyway, it was I, FedEx Kinko's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was there, and I think it was like Times New Roman or like you know one of those fonts, yeah, and I wrote Jenny's and printed it out on the biggest paper that they had at the time. It's like you know, and hung it up on like clips for the opening day. I mean, I had you that know, was your this banner, is like your sign. That was yeah. it. You know what I mean? <laughs> It was on white paper uh, with like black industrial plastic clips hanging from this very high ceiling um, on on chains that were already there mm. when I moved in. You know, That's I mean, I didn't, cool. I was very scrappy. But anyway, so I was standing there about a week and a half after um, we opened and um, I, I, there was a pile of dishes like that looked at like the Manhattan skyline. I mean, it was just like buckets after bucket after bucket. We used to wash all over. We never used disposable anything. So. Um, I was, it was midnight. I was tired. I'd been there for, for like two weeks straight on my feet. My feet were so swollen. I was in pain. And I was just like, you know what? It, um, I'm going to come back tomorrow and do this. Like, I don't have any customers for the first three hours anyway. So I'm just going to come back tomorrow. I'll finish this. It's not a big deal. Like, I'll go home. I'll go to sleep. I'll get good night's sleep. I'll be ready for tomorrow. And I'll attack this tomorrow. And I turned around, took off my apron, turned around and saw this dumb sign, this paper sign in like the, in the, you know, blowing in the like air conditioning and or heat or whatever. And I it, and it said Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. And it was like there was a light shining on it. And I was like, I cannot do that. So I put my apron back on and did all the dishes. And it has made every bit of difference. At Scream, it was different. I could disassociate myself with it a little bit. But at Jenny's, I never have been able to do that. And I think it really mattered. Like, I think it mattered. Um, maybe even to a fault or too much. You know what I mean? You mentioned um, like 2004-ish, you, you had a website and you were selling direct. Well, the Food Instagram. Network was coming out. Yeah. And we'd always wanted to do websites. So we're like, we got to get our website open. And you can yeah. like actually buy on the website and you, you would could buy it. it yeah. The... So we opened a web store. Yeah. Wow. So I was like super early on in like the e-commerce like wave, I guess. Yeah. Which is why we're in LA because yeah. our first customers were in New York City and LA. Yeah. I don't know how. Yeah. I mean. But that was what they were. And we've been growing in LA since. I mean, that's, we've been trying to get out here with a store for a long time because. We've yeah. our biggest uh, at, shipping at what destination. Point did you start getting into like other stores, like Whole Foods? Like you're in Whole Foods, right? And like uh, like all the markets and stuff. Like what, how did when did that you is a very very complex and very difficult business, grocery. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so we worked for that for a decade. Honestly, I mean, we just got global with Whole Foods last year, mm. but we've been working on it Thank for a God. decade. Yeah. Like it's not easy, and only a few of our flavors are there, but they're like the top ones, and yeah. it's awesome, and we're really proud of that. Um. I'm but curious. yeah, we started doing our, our our wholesale in 2009, and that was awesome because that you know you never know when something's gonna something's gonna just spark something, mm -hmm. another moment. You know, Dean and Deluca had been in our stores; they had some connection with the L brands or the Limited back mm -hmm. then, and so something had happened, um, uh, or they brought somebody in um, for their team. But but we got put on Dean and DeLuca's shelves yeah. in New York and that was the beginning of our. And at that point, grocery. though, was it like was Jenny's already like? Um, like obviously when you have physical locations, you're mainly marketing and spreading the word out to that community, right? So they know they could physically come to your location, buy your ice cream. But in this case, you're in all these stores where you might not have a physical location nearby. How did you get the, like, was it like, did you feel like you were starting a new business at that point when it came to like spreading the word and... For grocery? Like yeah, grocery? basically like, so people could go to a Whole Foods or whatever and buy Jenny's ice cream, you know? I may, may yeah, not have heard of it. I've always thought that that was, part, that was our responsibility. I think that when you get into grocery, you have to think that way. Um, it's our responsibility to send people to the store to buy it, and it's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Social media makes it a lot easier, and it's still not easy to do. But yeah, we, we, I, you know, we took that on as like that's you know, trying to build community everywhere we go, and that 
um, it, you know, it's never, it's never easy. So, you know, I'm on the road all the time. I would go and stand in stores. I mean, I was just actually over at the, at the farm shop here in Brentwood and there was, there were two women selling something that they, it was their a beautiful yeah. business or whatever. And I'm so, and I like bought everything cause I've been there. You know what I mean? I've been, I've stood in so many grocery stores giving out samples and talking about our company, but you know, you just get out it yeah. after it and like, you know, pound the pavement same way that I did you know, by working in the stores for so long. But, you know, I also was at the time working in the kitchen every day. So I had a lot, there was a lot working in the stores, working in the kitchen, you know, it was a lot going on. And also at the time, we weren't in Whole Foods or we were just starting to grow. We had Dean and Lucas like 2009-ish, you know, seven to nine. And um, and I really began to realize that we were going to, I was going to need a business, somebody to to take care of the business. Right. Because I knew what my job was. My job was to, to continue doing this ice cream that nobody else knows how to do. We make ice cream differently than everybody else. We don't use stabilizers, emulsifiers, egg yolks, corn syrup. We work with milk protein. I actually learned this by working at the dairy, yeah. that the way you uh, pasteurize and homogenize can build texture in the ice cream and body. And so we do that and it's not easy. And like, you know, so I knew that my role was in that ice cream, you know, thinking like a molecule, right. doing the sort of understanding customers, building community, um, creating flavors, all of that stuff. And I needed somebody because this was going to be a very complex business. Mm -hmm. I needed somebody who could come in and organize the business. Um, and so that was 2009. That was when I, I um, huh, another moment in my life, great moment of luck. I happened to, you know, know this guy, John Lowe, who was our old drinking buddy. He was the only guy I knew that wore cufflinks, but he would come in after he, uh, you know, he was a junior lawyer at a law yeah, firm yeah, back in the nineties. And uh, I, he, know it, he, I read he, he was at General crazy. Electric. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah. he went on as I was building yeah. my stuff. And uh, and also Charlie, who's now my husband, but at the time my boyfriend, who was also my business partner when we started Jenny's. But like uh, we would all three of us meet up after I closed the ice cream shop. You know, Charlie was still working at Ohio Link, which or at um, OCLC, which is an online library um, thing. And um, um, and then John would meet us and we'd all, you know, probably get super shit-faced saving the world or whatever. Yeah. But like <laughs> he went on to have an incredible career and um and at GE and he was, you know, just shot up to the top of that company, GE yeah. Aviation. Yeah. And uh somehow, and that's a whole story. I mean yeah, hopefully yeah. he'll put it in his book. He <laughs> decided to come work. I I mean I asked him, I was like, you're the only guy I know who um is a pit bull, under you know, obviously understands business deeply and is a community spirited leader. And yeah. so um I knew it had to be him. And uh anyway that's another great moment of luck for me. You know, I'm curious because I know it's not a very sexy topic, but, you know, we talk about like, you know, selling online and shipping across state lines or whatever. I mean, that entire process of the, like, you know, the supply chain, the operations, I mean, it's not fun. I mean, it, it, it's, a, and it's a lot of work and it's a completely different business than making ice cream and selling it to customers at your store. Were you ever involved with that or is that something that John got involved with later on? Very much. I mean... We've been very scrappy. Yeah. Only in the last couple of years have we gotten amazing, like co-packer. Like well, no, like a, a like a, a um, process facility, an incredible um, team of leaders. Yeah, who've done this at other companies, right? So we were very scrappy about all of this, just doing it kind of fly by the seat yeah. of our pants. We a lot of our our work crossed over, but we um, but I know that if you want to make really beautiful ice cream, you have to be really good at moving it around. You know, you have to be really good at picking up the strawberries and then making the strawberries into something before they go bad in a day. You know, the strawberries that we work with have a one-day shelf life. Mm. You know, they're not from Argentina or whatever. They're not built for that. They're built for flavor, and they're grown very close to us. And so when you want to move 6,000 pounds of them and, um, you know, wrestle them into ice cream, 
you know, it's a process of figuring out how to do that. And so then, so yeah, so John and I would work together on that, but like, you know, and, and also with people we would bring in with different levels of expertise. Um, but over time, it's like, you know, you bring in the person you can afford, they advance it a little bit. You just keep kind of doing that. And then, and then they move on and you get somebody else and you just keep kind of advancing it and learning as we go as well. But, um, but always with the idea. I mean, we've, failed at this so much but i can tell you now that like um we talk about that sort of flywheel feeling now i mean people write about all the time in business and like i i really understand that because for most of my life and john's at the business too and everybody who's worked there for any more than you know more than two or three years like it was about like figuring stuff out and like nothing was ever really going right if one thing was going really well 10 other things were falling apart you know, and like you're back behind the scenes, like you're trying to figure all this stuff out and do it as best you can and whatever. And like, you know, of course, create the best experience for customers we possibly can and like our team and all of that stuff. Um, and only recently are we beginning to feel that feeling of like, man, all of that effort was worth it. Because if we had just read a book on how to do it, it probably yeah. wasn't enough. We had to figure it out on our own. We did. Sure. We now have great leaders in those worlds. We have this stuff ironed out. We have our supplier network, you know, our farmers, you know, we, we've got long relationships with people. We've, we've got all this stuff ironed out so that like, it really does feel like, wow. Yeah. Like we almost can't, one of us or one thing isn't going to mess mm. this up. I'm sure a lot, you've talked about this a lot. Um, but there was this moment again, you know, this word moment, I think like this whole podcast is about moments, um, where there was a pint of ice cream that, you know, there was that situation of listeria that was found or what well, I can't remember the year. What was it? A few years ago, 2015, 2015. You won't forget. That I'll year. never forget. Yeah. Um, I mean, just talk us through what was going through your mind. I mean, I, mean, I can't imagine, but what was, what was happening? Well, we were in another meeting and uh, I saw John get the call or, you know, get the message. John and was I saw a CEO or CEO. Yep. Yeah. And I saw his face, like drain of blood. Like I, you know, I saw an expression that I had never seen on him before. And so, um, I left the meeting too and went and figured it out. And it was, you know, it's, it's the call you don't want to get. And what we didn't know, we did know that it, that it tested positive. So we knew it was there, but we didn't know is where else it was. Mm. And so then we had to make some very quick decisions, like, um, knowing that we were, you know, not knowing it, very much about it, you know, knowing that we had passed with flying colors, all of our, you know, permitting and all of our licensing. And we, we, we did in how to house testing, you know, we would, we'd done all this stuff and everything was, was great. We had just gone through several third-party audits because we'd had this other project and uh, we were doing great, but we just still didn't know, you know, how widespread this was going to be. And so within several hours, I mean, we stayed up all night, stayed at the office all night, maybe even for two nights. I don't even remember now. And we decided a plan. We decided that what we were going to need to do is just recall everything. And that was to, just to, to for absolute safety because when – if we were going to, you know, just recall that flavor or, 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 or bring some of it back and start testing it. You know, they yeah. take like 72 hours at that time to get tests back. I think they've changed that now. It's gotten a little bit faster. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, you could start testing things and just drag this out forever. Meanwhile, like somebody could get hurt. And that included your sto- – like your stores also Oh, it included also closing our stores. We had just opened in L.A. It was the worst timing. Oh, oh, you closed your stores down too? We closed all the stores down. We, we took all of the ice cream back. We had no ice cream. Um, to sell and we had nowhere to make it. Um, and so we did all of this knowing that it could be the end of our company. I mean, but with the intention of preventing an outbreak and we did, we prevented an outbreak. And, um, and I think that what ended up happening is that we gained so much trust in making that decision, even though like 
and, and I don't fault anybody for it because it's a hard thing to, un- to understand. You know, the media didn't quite get it right. I mean, some people even called it an outbreak, which it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when, with all of that, we still, we were just transparent about it, you know, and we did our best to get back on our feet. It took a long time. It was not easy. Yeah. Um, but we learned so much about our company. And I, I, just, I just would say, like, to anybody going through some kind of a crisis, sometimes it can be the best thing that happens to you. And I think, you know, there's, there's like stress and there's multiple layers of that. There's like crisis and then there's like tragedy and it's not tragedy, you know? So I knew where I was in the crisis place, but crisis is real tough. You know I mean? You're, you're, you, you're, yeah. you've got a new future in front of you. You've got to figure out new How, ways. And yeah, so that I'm was curious where with we you though. At. Um, cause it seems like another, I know moment, the word moment is, is mm-hmm. a, is a common theme here, but so is like resilience. And, and it sounds like, you know, in so many stages of your life, you've had to be resilient and, and you know, so I, I guess, how do you approach those moments or those, those times where like, do you, how do you compartmentalize the, the tough parts of it with, you know, being optimistic, um, of what's to come and like, you know, going back, back at it, back at it, back at it. How, like, do you have some sort of strategy or a way that you can point? Well, this you? would, would have been the third time that I would, I would say that in my life I lost everything yeah. or, or really had the chance of, you know, I mean, um, not, you know, that, that was sort of how I was sort of envisioning it. And, um, and so I was, um, but, but at the same time, it was like, I had never been as a, you know, I had children at this point in my life, you know, I had never been in this personally as this. And of course we have all of these employees. Mm-hmm. And so it felt just so much bigger. And so, um, but what I did was, um, I, I started keeping a journal and so I was writing through it. I was getting outside of myself looking in because I had no hope. Like I had, when it, when they like hope is ideas. Mm-hmm. I had no ideas because we, we had just come out of winter we're on fumes. We have no money. I mean, none. Uh, no way of getting more loans either. And no ice cream. So we have nothing to sell and no kitchen to make it. So, because we had to still figure out where it's coming from. We have to solve this problem where it's coming from and that could take a couple more months. I think most you know? situ- most people in these situations would close their doors and mm-hmm. probably not open again. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my journal entry, I was like, look, I, I, I just explained how I felt, which was I, I felt like I was standing in a, or floating in, in a sort of vast sort of um, nothing. You know, there was nowhere to take a step backward or forward. There was nothing to grab onto. And in my journal, I remember saying like, I know that some, an idea is going to float by me at some point. I'm going to grab onto it. Like it's, you know, the, you know, and I'm going to, it's going to take me somewhere. And it did eventually. And, um, and, and what it was, was, so this is where, this is where the crisis can be good for you. You have to focus on, you have to know who you are deeply because there's gotta be, there's some things that you just will never change no matter what that that'll blow you up. You know, so knowing what those are for us was important. And so I got a call from, um, I started getting calls actually from a lot of ice cream companies. Let us help you come make your ice cream here, hmm. which was the coolest thing yeah. to experience. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, no way. Cause if we don't make our ice creams, like we're not us. And then I started thinking, well, what is, what are we? Like, well, we're the, we're like, we know how to make ice cream. I know how to make ice cream. I know ice cream more than almost anybody else in the entire world. Maybe there, maybe there are 10 more people in the world who know better, more ice cream than I do. Yeah. Um, we, we, are, we are a community of makers, growers, and producers. Do I care what freezer, like if it's in my freezer or their freezer? I have to train people in my kitchen or I train people in their kitchen, right? What's the difference? Yeah. And that changed everything for me. So then I was like, okay, we can, so then we started working with a fifth generation dairy who was already sourcing our dairy, like direct, uh, grass pasture dairy for us. And they had better equipment than we did anyway. 
So then we're sending teams down there. We're making stuff. We had another kitchen. We're making like marshmallows and, and chocolate base and all these things in our kitchen, just taking it over there and freezing it. And, uh, and it ended up being the ice cream was like way better <laughs> like because now we don't have to package it and send it to our kitchen, the dairy. The dairy can come directly from the farm to the ice cream, to the place where we're freezing it. Anyway, it ended up being a whole, whole great thing. But, but that idea of like killing your babies, you know, shedding the things you never think sometimes, you know, you don't, you won't let things go unless you really, really have to. Mm. How do you get to that place without crisis? I don't know if it's possible. Mm. You'd never wish it on your worst enemies. And right. at the same time, yeah. it's the best thing that happened to us. That's insane. Mm-hmm. How has the company been since that time? Better than ever. Mm. Um, we, we, first of all, are, we, we created just an incredible safety program. We test every ice cream that goes out. That's like unheard yeah. of in the industry, like every single batch. Yeah. Um, but we also have, um, we're busier than ever. We've never had bigger, every time we open a store, it's like our busiest, busiest opening. Yeah. We just opened in Alexandria, Virginia, and a beautiful, beautiful community, an old American community. And um, um, it was 18 degrees out and it was our biggest opening. Wow. Yeah. Or I was right going to say, since, since like when you first launched Jenny's, um, since then, Obviously, a lot of other ice cream companies and brands have come into the space, whether it's physical locations or selling in stores. What, what do you think about, what is it about Jenny's? Um, I don't know if it's the product, if it's the company, if it's you, like the brand. What is it about Jenny's that has standed the test of time and been able to really, um, you know, uh, continue to grow and grow and grow while there are all these other brands coming into the market? Well, I will say that I think at first glance, we're a culinary company. You know, but when you really get into it, we we never wanted to make ice cream not fun. Mm. You know what I mean? Take the fun out of ice cream. We always wanted to make it sort of like it's it's not highbrow. Do you know what I mean? And I think that at first glance, and when you see my cookbook, and I got the James Beard Award and all that, and I and I really do take a culinary approach to a lot of it. I mean, the way that we do strawberries, the way it comes from the chef's kitchen, mm. but we never wanted it to feel um, foodie or fancy or like the fancy ice cream. The bourgeoisie's ice cream. Totally. I mean, we, ice cream has to be this place for everyone and um, and to get to know other people better and a place where, you know, we wanted it to be like um, just really sort of that idea of flavor is character and whatever. And I think that that has been so important in how we are success versus even people who've come in after us kind of in our model. I mean, even even a lot mm-hmm. of the, the ice cream makers who come in will say we're directly inspired by Jenny and what, what, what mm-hmm. in the Jenny's ice creams. Like, um and, you know, I still sort of, I, I think that one of the things that differentiates us, because I think there's this trend of artisan and almost it's become a monster. It's almost like yeah. too fancy. Yeah. And I think that I just, um, I think that at first glance, it's sort of, you see, you see, it seems like what we're doing, but we're really not. I mean, we're just really trying to make this chocolate that just makes you just melt. You know right. what I mean? And like, it's really about that. It's about how beautiful the ingredients are and that they're connected to human beings and that you know, there's a story here. And then the other thing is that we've been at this for so long. We've been building community for so long um, that we have direct and personal relationships so all over the country. And that's really, mm-hmm. really important. I can't imagine anyone better than you to talk about entrepreneurship. I mean, you've literally only been an entrepreneur for the last decade and like a half. My whole or life. two decades and a half. Um, I mean, people have ideas all the time. We talk, we've talked to hundreds of founders and they've all had multiple ideas and have built multiple businesses and have success and failure and whatnot. For the people out there that are listening that have ideas or an idea or a passion, what is a tangible piece of advice that you can give them? Start small and build. I just don't think that that is out there very often. People don't hear that. We hear, um, I think, you know, kids think, 
entrepreneurship is like strapping yourself to a rocket. It's like winning the lottery. And you're going to get a fancy car and you're going to get billions of dollars. Or you're just not going to. You're going to fail. Your idea is going to fail. And I think that there's a whole other side of entrepreneurship, which is just start making something. And tweak as you go. It doesn't have to be perfect. You're going to learn. You're going to learn. In fact, it shouldn't be perfect because you're going to learn from customers. Thousands of people are going to help you understand how to make what you're going to make. So start now and just build slowly. Um, I just think that that's the way to go. I always say that I come from the Roald Dahl School of Entrepreneurship. It's like that Willy Wonka, build build it into a world that means something. And so that to me is values-based. You know, it's like your world has to mean something when people walk in. Whatever it is that you're making, even if you're like an accounting firm, it has to mean something. You know, and it always is based on trust. And, you know, but, but I think just start. Yeah. doing something. I think I think one of the reasons for that too is like a lot of entrepreneurs think so big where um and and they lack the patience to know that it's going to take time and and you have to if you don't start somewhere that is not easy to start but like you know possible at that moment then you you'll probably never end up doing it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think I look back when I was younger and I was so worried about comp- competitors, people stealing ideas or whatever. And I still I meet young emerging entrepreneurs all the time. They're very worried about people taking their ideas. It is so much harder than that. Yeah. It is so much more about the process and people. And that is where the magic is. Um focus on that. And then I and I think for vision, the 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 moonshot vision, the long, long vision. It's good to have that because for sure, yeah. the, the super long vision is best because um everything but be, you know between now and then is 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 gonna be a jumbled mess, mm. you know, but you will inch your way slowly to that vision. You know, just keep it always in your scope, way out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll continue to do Jenny's for the rest of your life, or do you think that there will be other entrepreneurial ventures in the near future or future that you tackle? I think I will. I think I will do Jenny's for a long time, and then you know, and then at that point, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, mean I think I'll always be associated with that. But I yeah. will also um, work to get other people. You know, especially I would like kids to have the lens of entrepreneurship by sixth grade, and that's that lens of community, yeah. um, creativity, curiosity. Which is twelve years old. Opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You I want. The, you should call the company twelve years old. Yeah, I <laughs> want 12. that. I want. I want every kid to have that because whatever you end up doing, whether it's skateboarding or you become a science kid or a, an art kid or whatever, yeah. you can apply that, or you become a surgeon in your life. If you've got that in you, you apply it everywhere you go. Right. So I think I'll work a little bit on that, and if I ever have another business idea, it'll start tiny. It'll just be me tinkering in my garage. It won't be a. Um, it won't be a. You know me. Pitching. Venture funding. I'm not going to be on Shark Tank. I'll, yeah. I just don't like that kind of world. It works yeah. for certain businesses, but I think for a lot of businesses, it, you know, I don't think that you need that kind of fanfare around. I think you could just start something. Well, this has been so fun. I, I mean, like, just again, going back to just hearing your story from day one and that resilience factor is, is crazy because I feel like just putting myself in those shoes, I can't imagine like what you're thinking and going through every single time. Like you, you have this passion, right? For, for ice cream. And it's not, it's, I feel like it's some, one of those passions that a lot of people might have for something, but they don't really think of it as their career. It's like, I, I enjoy doing this, but I'm going to go do this as my career because I guess it pays the most money or uh, puts me in the most comfortable position. But you had this thing where, um, you know, there wasn't a clear career path, but you just kept going back at it. So it's amazing to see where you've come and we can't wait to see where things go from here. So well, it's something for about us, being yeah. in the American, you know, that those values as an American yeah. of like making something, putting your name yeah. on it, you know, there's something about that that I grew up with that I just yeah. really take to heart. Freedom, you know, not yeah, having no. to work for someone else. Totally. I love <laughs> it. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. And we can't wait to see 
how much bigger Jenny's gets and what you do and and what you, what you do to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs. I mean, before the podcast started, we talked a lot about the women in you know the women entrepreneurs specifically in LA and you know across the country and you know that's something that we hope to also be a part of is really inspiring younger men and women to really you know get get behind their dreams like no one else is going to make it happen except for them i think that entrepreneurship is the fastest way to make social change i mean i really do yeah. i believe that i've tried, i've made i've built nonprofits as well yeah. and so i really think that it's an important world and um small or big business little you know tiny all the way up so i yeah, yeah. couldn't agree more super well, thank you, thank you. <laughs>